It's finally here. Welcome to Do It With Dan, entrepreneurial philanthropist, public speaker and author, creator of the Beyond Intention Paradigm. Here is your host, Daniel Mengena. Hello and welcome to another edition of the podcast. Is it an edition or an episode? What's the difference between the two? Uh, it could be both. Episodes is typically the podcast lingo, but yeah. you get, it's your show. So you get yeah. to do it with Dan the way Dan wants to. I'm going to create my reality and say, welcome to another edition. I like it edition. Really you know weird. what? It sounds, no, it sounds like a newscast. Like we're going to bring the heat today. Bam. You guys already know that my guest is badass just by that interaction. Michelle and I met uh, December of 2018 at a Dr. Joe Dispenza retreat. We just clicked. She was badass. We stayed in contact. And now she's emerging as a butterfly out into the world. I was like, dude, we've got to get you on the podcast so that people get to know how badass you really are. Without further ado, whizzle or fantizzle, Michelle, introduce yourself to the audience. Let them know who you are and what you do. Absolutely, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. What a hoot you are. Um, Yeah, we did meet at Dr. Joe Dispenza in 2018 Mm -hmm. in Cancun, epic Mm -hmm. event. And so I am an an empowerment and mindset coach, and I specialize in confidence and conscious communications. And um, when we met, I was actually at the very beginning of a health reclamation that I had no idea was going to take me on my own journey of, um, I guess what I could say is the most profound epic pain that I've ever been through in my mm. life. Um, I've been on a health reclamation since uh, 2018, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit what that is in a second. But um, what I can tell you as a coach today is that um, that experience has allowed me through my own journey of coming home to myself. What I've acquired is something that you can't get in a coaching certification, and that is self-ownership at such mm. a level of integrity and authenticity. And I'm at this place, Dan, where, um, I can honestly say I shall not be moved, you know, Mm. like I stand on the sacred ground of my lived experience Mm. and what that means for me in the way of holding space for other people and the women that I work with predominantly, but I also work with all beings, Mm -hmm. um, is that I'm not moved by pain. Mm. You know, so um, we all come to the table with our stories that we have to sort through and own. And I would say before this reclamation, um, I think that I saw myself as a coach that was all about the breakthrough. But Mm -hmm. why don't you go work with your therapist on the breakdown first? You know, Mm. um, I wouldn't say that I was intimidated by deep um, what some might say, dark emotions. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know that a person could be to could be in a depth so profoundly painful. And I mean, on every level, I'm just going to put it out there, Dan. So here's the thing. I don't even know if you know, I think you know this about my story. So I'm in my, okay, cool. I'm in my 20th year of sobriety. So I haven't had a drink since uh, June 21st, 2001. Mm -hmm. And, um, my 21 year old and my 18 year old have never seen me drunk, which is a blessing. Mm -hmm. Um, no judgment for those that party. Like I just used all my drinking coupons. Right. So, um, (laughs) yeah, you know what? I, I, I used those up early in life. Okay. (laughs) And it was kind of a good thing for my kiddos not to see the way I rock and rolled. Um, Mm -hmm. so, um, in that process, I was about a year sober And um, life had really showed up in, uh, let's just call it uh, 31 flavors. And so what that looked like for me is I was, um, uh, I was, like I said, about a year sober. I had a three month old baby. Uh, My daughter, who's now 18, was then three months old. And um, my then husband had suffered a traumatic brain injury and was, you know, pretty, pretty different, like looked the same on the outside but had experienced a frontal lobe injury that affected executive functioning and social inhibition and short-term memory and um, impulse control. And so Craig looked the same on the outside, but it was like being married to a different person. Mm. And then my two-year-old at the time was about to be diagnosed with full spectrum autism. And Mm -hmm. so let's just say I was thrown in the deep end of the pool Mm -hmm. um, without any ability to swim. And, um, you know, I had to teach myself to freaking swim. Mm-hmm. And so, um, at the time I, I wouldn't say I was depressed. Like, yes, at that time I was diagnosed with postpartum depression mm-hmm. and, um, 
Unfortunately for me, I was told to um, maybe get some support for what would, you know, what was seen as postpartum depression. I don't see it that way. I think I was super anxious and overwhelmed based on life experiences. But I'll tell you, I saw a psychiatrist that basically looked at my life story and the way they made sense of it was giving me a diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. They explained to me that I likely drank alcoholically because of a brain chemistry imbalance and that I had been self-medicating mm-hmm. um, my whole life. And so because this person had a degree in medicine and, you know, basically was wearing this white lab coat, I, you know, outsourced my empowerment mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I made them the authority in my life. And they said, you can try this antidepressant and this will help balance your brain chemistry and balance. And I was sold this idea that this theory, this narrative that I had a brain chemistry imbalance that was serotonin based. And mm-hmm. that if I took this medication, I would have this balanced brain chemistry and where I would go with this wonderful life. And so I bought that story, you know, um, line hook sinker. And mm-hmm. I went with that for, um, 16 years. And, mm-hmm. um, so this health, re- health reclamation I'm talking about, Dan, is that I took anti this is first of all, let me just qualify. Um, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. I'm mm-hmm. not here on your podcast to encourage anyone to stop taking their meds. This mm-hmm. is my story. It's my mm-hmm. lived experience. I must say that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I I've done my own research, uh, if anybody wants to talk about it, I'm happy to share it with them. What I can tell you is that there is no science, there's no peer reviewed data anywhere at any time that has proven that a brain chemistry imbalance exists and that it's serotonergically based. And so um, we're one of two countries in the Western world, New Zealand and the United States of America that offers direct to consumer marketing on drugs, pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. including antidepressants and other psych meds. And so, you know, we're conditioned our culture and our our collective consciousness is being programmed by commercials and a narrative that mental illness, specifically depression, anxiety, is largely based by neuro, you know neurotransmitters going awry. And it's just there's just no science there, and I didn't know that. And so what happened for mm-hmm. me is, um, you know, so I was on these. I started my first dose that was November, 2002. I had a three month old baby that I was nursing and doing very well with. And, you know, the truth be told Dan is, um, I didn't want to stop breastfeeding her, but I was told by her pediatrician that if I was going to take these antidepressants that I needed to stop nursing. And I look back now that I'm off, I'm about three years off of everything and I'm doing quite well today. I'm back to the powerhouse badass boss bitch that I was before I was on meds. Hey, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Um, but let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I can tell you how not to do this. Um, I think my mission, no, I don't think I know that I made it through this reclamation so that I can tell people that are interested how not to do it mm-hmm. because I stand on, I stand on this, um, this privilege that, um, I didn't have to work for two years and not most people don't have that ability mm-hmm. to come home to themselves and know that their nervous system and brains will heal in time. I did not know how long it was going to take. I was very sick. Mm-hmm. And um, in those two years that I was very, very ill, I've just come on to so much research and so much of the actual science and this peer movement that's out there that's helping people that want to get off of these drugs, come off them in a safe way. And had I known then what I know now, the truth is, Dan, I still would be tapering off those medicines because, mm-hmm. you know, here I, I was working with a New York Times bestselling author. I'm not going to name names. That would be very inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, this doctor, I thought, was um, a thought leader in the field of tapering. They were in the field of holistic psychiatry. They had presented the science that is there that's saying there is no such thing as a neurochemical imbalance in brains that cause depression and anxiety. And so Mm -hmm. that person was correct about that, but their tapering protocols were pretty radical. And Mm -hmm. in my opinion, in my lived experience, a little bit reckless. Mm -hmm. And so I was on three different medications to one was an SSRI and one was an SNRI. And then I was also on um, 
another medication, which called a mood stabilizer. Mm -hmm. And I was tapered off three medications at very high doses over an 11 month period. And what I can tell you, Dan, so I met you in 2018. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I was 30 days off of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was at the Dr. Joe event and about 60 days later, my ass fell off and, and I'll tell you what that looks like. So it's, um, when you experience adverse effects at the hands of either a doctor's advice or medicine that doesn't work for your body, that's called iatrogenic injury. So what that looked like for me is these medications that I was taking as prescribed for 16 years, my brain and my central nervous system became dependent on them. Mm, so it's addiction. not addiction. That's a set. It's a separate. Well, I, I get, I get. So because I'm in recovery, I want to make a little distinction here. So yes, mm -hmm. semantically, the difference between dependence and addiction is addiction is this craving. Like I want more. I didn't want more antidepressants. I didn't say I'm going to take two uh, or three. Okay. With alcohol, that's a different thing. So mm. me and alcohol, Oh honey, that's a different thing. Like I don't have the mechanism in me that says when, you know, so okay. sometimes I'd have two drinks. Sometimes I'd have 10 and blackout. Right. So, so you, one, there was no discernment. There was the no two. discernment. And I could say, okay, this time, you know, mm -hmm. this time, or if I just eat this food, or if I just drink this organic wine, or if I just do this other thing, or if mm -hmm. I, you know, if I, you know, just planning your drinks and it just all this nonsense that was my old life, you know, mm -hmm. I know the difference between those phenomenon of craving, you know, mm -hmm. and then I know the difference between I was taking these prescriptions as prescribed. I didn't want more. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know that once I was on them, it was going to be very problematic to get off them. So can I ask, is, yeah, is go it please. More, is it, is it, addiction is like, I want more. Yeah. And dependencies, I can't do with less. Okay. So I love that question. So dependence, in my opinion, dependence is that the brain body becomes dependent. Like if you remove it, you're going to have symptoms of withdrawal. That's dependence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can be dependent and addicted at the same time. Okay. okay. With psych med dependency, I don't see, unless it's a benzodiazepine, okay. Mm -hmm. Or, or a Z drug. And this isn't like, I don't care if you're on it. I'm not judging anybody that is, I'm saying there are some medications that fall under the psychopharmaceutical umbrella that mm -hmm. are more addictive mm -hmm. and antidepressant and SSRI and SNRI, any kind of the mood stabilizers and it likes Lamictal or any of the anti-seizure drugs that they're using as mood stabilization or, you know, something like lithium or Depakote, any of the antipsychotic drugs, nobody's craving more. Like I think mm -hmm. I'll pop two or three today. That feels pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, something like Seroquel, however, that is an antipsychotic drug that's used for sleep. A lot of times mood stabilization. I've known people in recovery that are sober that find out if they take that medication a little bit early in the night, they kind of feel woozy and they go off and they start using Seroquel, an antipsychotic as a way to get high. So mm -hmm. addicts will find their way. That's a separate mm -hmm. conversation. <laughs> That's a separate conversation. But in the, in the sense of this discussion, Dan, in my own uh, reclamation, my own, like this, this coming home to myself is so I'm a year sober. I, mm -hmm. This is 2002, right? Mm -hmm. um, actually this is 2000. Yeah. 2002. Cause I got sober in 2001. So a year later, the shit hits the fan newborn baby. Mm -hmm. I'm in a, I'm in a graduate degree. I'm in a master's of counseling psychology. I'm in grad school. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm running a household. I have a husband and it's pretty incapacitated that can't emotionally be there for me with these two babies. You know, I have mm -hmm. a, a newborn and a two-year-old that mm -hmm. developmentally is not coming you know, is not moving along the trajectory of typical development. So there's very little language. There's no interest in, in children, John's age. There mm -hmm. is a lot of, um, sensory overstimulation and understimulation. And then there's a lot of what in that, you know, realm is called non-functional behavior. So there mm -hmm. were behaviors that you would look at this, my, my little person and go, what is your child doing? They were trying to make sense of the world. And so mm -hmm. I'm like going, this is my first child. And so I have girlfriends that have kids that are older than me. And I'm like, what is the deal? Like, why isn't John talking? You know, we're mm -hmm. talking like John could count to 20 and John had word approximation. So the mm -hmm. word circle, John would say gurkle. And then mm -hmm. the word star, John would say gar. Mm -hmm. And the word triangle, John would say guyangle. So there was very, but there was no, when John was a little baby, it wasn't goo goo ga ga, ba ba da da, mama, hi, bye. 
Mm-hmm. There was there was none of that like developmental baby talk. It was just one day John said the letter six or X X with his little cute lisp X X. And I was like, what is going on? That's so fascinating that John's saying X. And then John's first word was six, six, six. And I was like, what the heck is going on? We had a little toy, a little Winnie the Pooh toy that was for my niece many moons ago. And it counted to six, one, two, three, four, five, six. So John kind of attached to that. So moving forward, Mm -hmm. we don't have to go on that, you know, little tirade there or that little detail (laughs) tangent is that I was in this like deep end of the pool, like real mm-hmm. life experience. I'm newly sober. I'm in a body that has hormones raging. I'm pretty overwhelmed, but here's the truth, Dan. I'm going to seven meetings a week at that time. I was in a 12, 12 step community. So I'm going to meetings. I'm working with others. I have service commitments I'm grocery shopping, cooking, cleaning, mm-hmm. you know, I have help and I'm functioning. Like this is not somebody that would go, Oh, this woman isn't doing well. There's some mental health. I didn't want to harm myself. I didn't want to harm my baby. I was connected Mm -hmm. to my community. I had friends in my fellowship. I was just profoundly overwhelmed and anyone would be in those situations. Okay. Mm. In that situation. So I look back now, Dan, I look back at that and I go, oh my gosh, this feels like a spiritual crime to me, Dan, that I'm a year sober. And here I am coming to in my life, if you will, for the first time, I started drinking when I was 13 years old, had my last drink when I was 32 years old. Okay. And then by the time I'm 34 years old, I'm presented with this story that I think is science, Mm -hmm. that I have a brain chemistry imbalance, that Mm -hmm. I have this thing, this diagnosis called generalized anxiety disorder. So don't feel bad about yourself, Michelle, you drank alcoholically because you have a brain chemistry imbalance. So now Dan, I have this reason for all those shameful things I did and black and I have this brain chemistry, like this, this, this diagnosis that I can go, yeah, you know what? I'm not a piece of shit. I just have this thing in my brain. And so these doctors are so kind to make these drugs for me. Cool. Thanks. Only didn't mm-hmm. work out like that. Only here's my thing. Okay. I did not have informed consent going on those drugs and I did mm-hmm. not have informed consent coming off those drugs. Mm-hmm. And I don't coach on this. Like I could have a whole business, right. Supporting people coming off these drugs. Let me tell you something right now. I will support a handful of women kind of like I treat it as like a paying it forward, kind of like, um, I will work with people as a peer. I will not hold therapeutic because I'm not a therapist, but I will not hold a coaching professional space for people because I would just walk through that, Dan, and your mind coming off these drugs. I had, if I told somebody, Dan, what I was actually thinking coming off these drugs, like now here's what I want to tell you. Dependence is like this. Those drugs, most people, most doctors don't understand that when you get off a medication, like a psychiatric drug, that is literally, we have no appreciation of what's happening to the brain stem from that first dose. We don't know. Mm. All the studies on these drugs are six to eight weeks long. And none of these drugs are studied together. So we don't really know what this is. Yeah. We don't know. So we literally, Dan, I was a Guinea pig for 16 years. Okay. So most doctors think, oh yeah, two weeks, come off your drugs. You're good. No, 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 no. That is so not true. There's so much anecdotal data now. So this peer, this peer recovery movement. And now like the UK, they're doing some fabulous research right now. And there's this whole peer support movement. And there's some research being done that's studying people safely tapering off of these medications so that they don't go through this horrific experience that I went through, which is basically a protracted withdrawal. So acute Mm. withdrawal, like when you come off alcohol, a lot of people, if you're addicted at a pretty intense level, they want to put you in rehab, not because you're a baby, because you can have seizures and die. Mm. Okay. You can go into DTs, same thing with getting off a benzo. So nobody really has the understanding because we haven't really done the studies to understand How do we safely taper off, taper people off these medications? So for example, if I was on medication for quite a long time, okay, maybe anxiety, depression, whatever. And then I said, oh, I'm I'm ready to have babies. Like I want to get pregnant. Okay. But this is really important that it's not just about, oh, anti-psychiatry. That's not what I'm about. It's about informed consent that we are handing out these drugs like Like it's no big deal. And we're Mm. telling people, oh, there's research, there's science, they're safe, they're effective. That's bullshit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And and so what my message to people is we have to become informed consumers, Dan. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. I'm talking to you on the podcast. Like this is what I do for a living. This (laughs) is my mission in life. Like I will be, I will be an activist and an advocate until I take my last breath Mm -hmm. on these issues because of my lived experience and the intersection of untreated learning differences, addiction, family of origin, codependency, and then getting sober. And how what we're doing is we're drugging the difference out of children and we're drugging the dysregulation out of traumatized adults. We're Mm -hmm. not looking at people's lives in the context of their lives and going, does their pain make sense? Mm -hmm. Instead of asking Dan, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. We need to be asking like what Oprah Winfrey's book And the doctor, the neuroscientist, I think it's Dr. Perry. She just had a book come out called What Happened to You? That's a better question. You ask a better question, you're going to get some different answers. We've Mm got to stop looking at people like, what's wrong with that kid? What's wrong with that person? What's wrong with, you know what I'm saying? It's like Mm -hmm. we need to say, what happened to them? If you look at my life in context, what was going on? And then you look at where I was in early recovery. And then you look at my childhood, my Mm -hmm. developmental history. You would have heard oh my gosh, this person had adverse childhood experiences that they did not, me, I didn't get integration for. I had a nervous system that was completely dysregulated. Drinking was part of my solution. Drinking was this magic elixir that I took that made me feel safe in my skin and I could like have a conversation and meet people and be okay Mm. in my body. And so What we need to be doing for people that are getting sober is not throwing psych meds on them. We need to teach them that you have to come into this understanding of this vessel that you're inhabiting. Mm -hmm. It's carrying your soul. It's carrying your soul's mission. And you have this mind that you get to learn how to manage, right? We've Mm -hmm. learned that in Dr. Joe's work and some of the other work that you do. We understand how to manage this mindset, how to come from a a place of gratitude and and, and a growth mindset. But those are taught skills. And Mm -hmm. most people that are getting sober They don't need to be given more drugs. They Mm -hmm. need to be given the opportunity and the knowledge that it's going to take time to re-inhabit this body. And honestly, Dan, exactly that. We need, I think we should be giving people, and I've talked to some other doctors that are in the field that are like, we need to be giving people at least two years off of alcohol and other street drugs before we even consider psych meds for people. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous that we just throw people on meds and rehab. Well, the, the thing that's coming here, there, there's two two lanes here. First of all, there's the intentionality, right? Yeah. That informed consent is like having a conscious relationship to what's going on. Exactly. So rather than um, deferring to, because I mean, look, in the dark ages, people deferred to the wisdom of doctors and were putting leeches on their skin. Right. And <clears throat> 50 years ago, there was nothing about cigarettes, right? But yep. now we know it's awful. So this isn't like crapping on the medical community. No. It's inspiring, inviting people to have a conscious relationship to what's going on rather than just, oh, human in white coat says something. I'm just going to play along. I'm so glad you brought that up, Dan. I want to give you an example. Exactly what you're saying that like when we know better, we have a chance to do better. And we don't mm-hmm. always do better when we know better. We mm. still have to choose that. Okay. Mm. And so I think... Doctors, here's what's true is so we have like data and research that's happening right now. It will take se- about 17 years for this cutting edge research to get into these textbooks that the next generation of doctors are going to mm. learn from. Okay. So the reason why the internet is so, well, there's lots of reason why the internet is so amazing, but it really is the great equalizer in a lot mm-hmm. of ways in that we, I have met people all over the world, literally in the last two years literally people all over the world that are trying to get off this stuff. When I say stuff, I mean, psych meds of every variety. We're Mm -hmm. talking antipsychotics, antidepressants, mood stabilizers, anti-seizure drugs are being used as mood stabilizers. Okay. And so what we have is there's this community of people that are trying to support each other. Right. And then while we're trying to get well, we're trying to inform these helping professionals, whether it's a doctor or a, or um, or a therapist or some other type of helping professional that's saying that we can say, hey, can you see if there is an opportunity for for 
meds to help. Can you possibly see that that same medication can harm? And I'll mm. tell you this, Dan, it comes down to bio-individuality. Okay. So mm -hmm. you might be able to drink alcohol, metabolize it, and you'll never have a problem with it, but that's mm -hmm. not true for me. I mm -hmm. also cannot metabolize penicillin, but mm -hmm. I don't go, you know what? Maybe today I could take that. Maybe today I could take it for an infection. Also, we except as a society that some people have an allergy to penicillin and we don't go, Oh, you're pill shaming the people that are trying are taking penicillin as prescribed. It's just kind of odd in this mm -hmm. mental health space that if I come out and say, Hey, antidepressants didn't work for me. And in fact, they harmed me mm -hmm. and there is a propensity that they create dependence. That's just mm -hmm. true. It's, it's just science. It's called homeostasis. When you mm -hmm. put something in the body, the body will adapt. And what happens is our body tries to adapt to these drugs that are in our system. So then a lot of people like me, just like I needed more alcohol to get high, I needed higher and higher doses of those medications to have any kind of symptom management that I once had. The only problem, Dan, is the longer I was on them and the higher doses that I was on, I was actually acquiring new symptoms that I never had before mm. I was on the medication. So mm. I got put on antidepressants to manage generalized anxiety disorder, which I never had. I just had situational anxiety yeah. based on real, real tough life, life circumstances real life stuff and untreated childhood of origin stuff. That was pretty painful stuff that I don't need to mm -hmm. get on into on your podcast. Okay. But here's the thing. Look at psychiatry for a sec. This is not anti-psychiatry. It's just one example. You mm -hmm. brought up leeches. Okay. If you look back in the literature in the 1950s, autism was seen as infantile schizophrenia. It's true. Look at, if you look at a Webster's dictionary from 1980s and you look at autism, it says infantile schizophrenia. That's crazy sauce. What the now Dickens? Google this. Okay. Check this out. In the 1950s, autism mm -hmm. was thought to be caused by refrigerator mothers. There was a thing in the literature called refrigerator mother syndrome. Okay. Mm -hmm. Eustacia Cutler happens to be the mother of Temple Grandin. Temple mm -hmm. Grandin is a very famous person with autism. She's mm -hmm. a professor at the university of Colorado. Okay. Mm -hmm. Temple was born in a time where people literally professionals could go into the home Take a child, place them in an institution, and then put the mother in psychoanalysis because she didn't bond with her child. That's psychiatry, 1950s. Okay. Wow. Now let's go back further. Mm -hmm. And we were doing lobotomies on people. We were ice picking people and going, we're helping them have balance. Like they, they're unwell. We need to help them. Are mm. you crazy? So mm -hmm. is it possible, Dan? I'm mm -hmm. not saying don't have medication available. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that. Do mm -hmm. I think that these medications can help some people? Yes, mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. There's the potential for that. Do mm -hmm. I also think that most people are not getting informed consent when they're given these drugs? I absolutely know that's true. Mm -hmm. We are not giving people the full, like, like the full bevy of information saying, Hey, this is what we know about these drugs. We mm. only have short-term data on use of them. I can't tell you that they're safe long-term because we don't know, but mm -hmm. they, they do have the propensity to help you with these symptoms. Here's some possible, let's not call them side effects. They're direct effects from yeah. these drugs. <laughs> yeah. And oh, by the way, you might develop all these other things. And oh, by the way, if you ever do want to stop taking them, you might find it pretty hard to do so. And you might mm -hmm. not be able to get off of them. Knowing mm -hmm. all that, you still want the script. That's mm -hmm. called informed consent. Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't have it. You know what mm -hmm. I was told? The dose that got you well will keep you well. That is just nonsense. Mm -hmm. So I literally outsourced my empowerment. So mm -hmm. it's interesting as an empowerment coach, what I can tell all my clients don't outsource your empowerment. Mm. Okay. We do it in so many ways. We do it with our mental health. We do it with our physical health. We keep making people outside of ourselves, these experts, we put people on pedestals and go, Oh, they know what's best for me. No, we have to trust the wisdom on our, in our bodies. And mm. we're having these big symptoms, Dan, whether it's anxiety or depression, if we come up with some different questions, we might get some different answers. And sometimes there are things happening in our lives and it's appropriate to be sad for weeks mm. and months on end. I went through a mm -hmm. very painful divorce. If you asked a psychiatrist to look at me based on the DSM-5, they would have to diagnose me as 
major depressive disorder, what was really bereavement. It's the death of a Mm -hmm. relationship. Why are we trying to drug the dysregulation out of people and just offer Mm. them a pill for our ill when it's not illness? Well, there's a pop that I think that's like uh, there's a there's a culture there's a couple of cultures I think here. Number one, dealing with the symptom rather than addressing what's going on underneath. Spot on. Right. Yep. Spot like, on. Like I very very rarely will take med- medication because medication just numbs the symptoms. Absolutely. If you've got a cold or a flu, if the symptoms are unmanageable, then I will take right. some paracetamol just to because I need to be able to function. But generally speaking, Absolutely. I'm going to look at what's going on with my immune system, what's yep. going on with the amount of water that I'm taking, how much fresh air and sunlight I'm getting. Because at the end of the day, the symptoms are covered while the body heals. So I just support the body in, in healing itself. It's right? so true. Yep. And then there's yep. the whole thing of, well, I want this fixed now. I'm not prepared to go through the process of actually going through this. And here's the thing. And that's what Mm. I think medication needs to be a choice, right? I would Mm -hmm. never be anti-psychiatry. I Mm. think there's a lot of room for growth here. Mm -hmm. I think instead of saying like, oh, you think you know it all. First of all, I challenge any psychiatrist that says that it's a brain chemistry imbalance. I'd say, show me the science, bring Mm -hmm. out your data, bring out your PubMed. Let me see your Google search. Let me see the actual peer reviewed literature because it doesn't exist. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's a beautiful book by Robert Whitaker. He's a journalist. He worked for the Boston Globe for a long time. And he, um, was a writer in the medical and science field for quite a while. And he wrote this book, Anatomy of an Epidemic in 2010, and basically studied the history of um, psychiatric medications and was comparing outcome data prior to drugs to outcome data, you know, post this drug era. And mm-hmm. you would be really surprised at the outcome data. Just bottom line is people that are on these multi-med cocktails, they have worse outcomes than the people that when drugs weren't even an option. And so you have to ask yourself like does that mean there's no place for drugs absolutely Mm. not i think that um you know i can't say who needs medication that's not for me to say i think that medicine can be a lifesaver for some and it's Mm -hmm. just not my call Mm. i think that we are over prescribing and many, many, many instances, Mm -hmm. I think for depression and anxiety, there's lots of lifestyle choices and changes that can happen. And yes, they do take time. Mm -hmm. And I, so I agree with you. Some people, here's the thing that's tough. So you have these communities where they may not have access to um, a full host of solutions that might get you a better outcome long-term that does not include drugging people. Okay. When you don't have the, when you don't have, I hate to say this, but it's true. When you don't have money to pay for help outside of this, what's considered gold standard care, which is covered Mm -hmm. by health insurance that includes drugs and talk therapy, that's pretty much what is covered. Mm -hmm. That kind of leaves out so many solutions, including what we're putting in our bodies, like not putting just food in our bodies, but I'm talking about the chemicals in our environment from the, how our food grows, what we're putting on our bodies topically, the environment, the air we breathe, like, you know, that those things matter. And so, you know, it, it, I hate to say that only people that have means should be able to get, well, that's bullshit. And that's why I think the internet can be the great equalizer in Mm -hmm. in terms of having access to data and access to resources. And that's why, you know, I'm working with some professionals. I hope to have some content in the future. I can't say near future because I don't know how long it's going to take, (laughs) but I would like to have content that's, that's free or very low costs for people to understand how they can manage their own like be self-supporting, right? Be self-sustaining in their environments and in their communities with the food they put in their body. And, and just knowing better can have the propensity to allow people to do better. But if you don't know that the food you put in your body makes a difference or the, the products that you use on your skin, that all these chemicals add up, the perfumes, the hair dyes, the ever, and I'm not, look, I still highlight my hair, okay? I'm not <laughs> like, oh, I'm so au naturel. I never have chems. But mm-hmm. what I do understand is that we bear this toxic load mm-hmm. and that our immune systems, 60% of our immune systems in our gut 
our neurotransmitters are in our gut, what our gut biome is very important in our overall wellness, including our mental health. And so look, when somebody's ass is falling off because they have so many symptoms, they're in so much pain because they've had huge atrocities that have happened to them, or they've been traumatized in ways that we might not even have the capacity to fully understand. Mm -hmm. Yes, medications get to be available for those people so they can actually be in their bodies and Mm -hmm. not be like under the bed because they're Mm -hmm. so terrified. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. I don't get, I will never stand on a platform that says anti-psychiatry, anti-medicine, anti- psych drugs because mm-hmm. that's just not how, how but, that's just and, my position and, and, and the thing is is that also you you've spoken to the biodiversity of individual mm-hmm. humans right yeah yeah um absolutely so for example when it comes to my relationship to alcohol yeah my body literally shuts down and says don't have any more so yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I've never experienced what it is to be blackout drunk. I've never experienced what it is to be so drunk. You don't remember what happened because exactly. after I've had a few drinks, my body just says, no. Nope. And if I try and drink more, I vomit. So See, I and there you go. So you really something. have, so, and many people do, right. And some people just don't like the feeling. It's so funny, mm-hmm. Dan. See, I'm almost 20 years sober. Like I'm like a couple weeks, like a week, 10 days away. And, um, mm-hmm. and, um, still if I'm out and about and I'm watching people drink and I'll watch somebody walk away and they leave wine in their glass. I'm like, you're so wasteful. Why are you leaving that? Going, <laughs> what are you even looking at that for? And that's why I know here's the truth, Dan. I became a cucumber. I mean, I became a pickle, which means I'll never be a cucumber again. That's just mm-hmm. true, right? Like, mm-hmm. I just know, like, I look at alcohol. I don't have to walk around and say, oh, I'm alcoholic and mm-hmm. la, la, la. Like, I do believe that I am is the most powerful statement that we could ever say. And mm-hmm. so I'm not anti 12 step programs. I just don't think I need to walk around and declare, I'm Michelle, I'm an alcoholic. I don't think I need to say that. I think and that I've, I can I've say. I've got other friends who've had the same experience yeah. where they've, they've They've done the healing work and the program has been supportive of them getting yeah. there. Yeah. And some of them I've seen have migrated to a place where they can have a glass of wine and have a conscious relationship to it where it's like, yeah, this glass of wine I'm enjoying and that's yeah. it. Or this glass of whiskey or whatever I'm enjoying or this cocktail I'm enjoying the taste of. And then I can stop. Yeah, and for me, and for me, you know what? It. Here's the thing. It's so funny. I was thinking, like, you know how in the in the work that we've done together, mm-hmm. which is the whole quantum field, and that's a whole separate conversation. Mm-hmm. But that basically we do. Everybody has capacity to basically change some things with mm-hmm. our with our mind and get into the field, get to this place, right? Where mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, could I actually change my neurology so that I can metabolize alcohol so I could drink like other people? And I went, just the fact that I'm fantasizing about this, like. I just, I am so comfortable in my <laughs> body today, Dan. Here's the truth. I am so comfortable in my body mind. I am like, I literally have come home to the sanctuary mm-hmm. of my body mind. And I'm at such profound place of peace and presence mm-hmm. that yes, I have moments of, of intense discomfort today. And mm-hmm. I have these moments where I notice, you know what? The old Michelle would enjoy a cocktail right now. I'd love to take the edge off. Like, because mm-hmm. I'm sober, I also don't smoke weed. Like there's lots of stuff. I mm-hmm. would love to do some psychedelics that might be down the road, but not today, Satan, not today. Right. But here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. Cause I know I'd love that shit, but here's the thing. And, that, and not, no judgment, no shame, like bring on plant mm-hmm. medicine for most people. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of go, I, I, I've had spiritual experiences in my meditative states. I, I have had mystical experiences without having anything in my body. And I kind of go, that's a sacred thing for me. So Mm -hmm. no shade or judgment on anybody that is drinking or using any substance that's bringing them some desired effect namaste, like zero judgment. (laughs) I'm just at this point in my evolution and probably not the first time, you know, and, and this, in this, like, this isn't my first rodeo, so to speak. Um, Mm -hmm. it's my first time in this body, but I just feel like, um, that maybe I, I don't know if you believe in this whole past life thing, but I'm thinking like, maybe I was, had addiction problems for a really long time. Cause I'm at peace with it today. Mm-hmm. I, I, every time I think, well, maybe just, maybe I could, I just kind of go, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just don't, I, I don't want to, but that feels like a conscious relationship. To it does. It's very intentional. Being pulled away. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't feel this fear like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get struck drunk. And if I don't do another inventory, like, you know, it's going to get me. It's like, mm-hmm. because I'm present with myself and I do have, 
I do have this mindset that I live my life one day at a time. I can't tell you I'll never drink again because I don't know. Mm. That's my choice today. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to wake up and have that be my choice tomorrow. And what I can say is that I I, I have learned from the 12-step fellowship of, of some beautiful spiritual tools. And I've also learned for me that I don't really wholly subscribe to any program that hasn't been edited since 1935. Like mm-hmm. um, that is largely written by men for men. It just doesn't fully resonate with me. And I have tons of friends in 12-step communities. I am not anti-12-step. Mm-hmm. I, I have greatly benefited from that community. I've worked all the 12 steps. I've carried the message to others. You know, it's a beautiful thing. I I do know for me that many people that get sober many people are, are, are traumatized people. And what I mean by that, not necessarily the capital T trauma, like some horrific sexual assault or war, that level atrocity. And that could be true too, but some, uh, many people have experienced, whether it's a learning difference that didn't get support for, and they felt like they were dumb and not smart and started using in high school, or maybe they didn't feel like they had a place in their family and there was some codependence or what have you. It's like, you know what I laugh at, Dan, not laugh at. I think about being parents, right? Like you're a parent, I'm a parent. We don't need licenses for these things, right? Like mm-hmm. we have to have a license to drive a car, but if we choose to have babies, we get to. And many of us, <laughs> right? Like we just go, hey, I want to procreate. Like, I just want to like keep my genes going and let's just yeah. have some babies. And it's cool and everything, right? It's just that if we don't take responsibility for the lived experience for what we came from, if there's pain, from that place we came from and we don't take a look at what happened to us mm-hmm. and take responsibility. Like it's not our fault that certain things happen to us. Okay. Mm-hmm. We didn't align with that energy and bring it upon ourselves. I do not subscribe to that noise at all, mm-hmm. but I'll tell mm-hmm. you this. I do think that at some point we have to look back at our past and go, I 100% take responsibility for what happened to me and Mm -hmm. I will get help to manage this meat suit, right? Mm -hmm. I will get the support I need, whether I Mm -hmm. read about it, I go to therapy for it, Mm -hmm. I get a coach for it, I get in a community that's no cost for it, and Mm -hmm. I will make sense of that pain. Much of it is trauma. There's so many beautiful resources out there, the way of books, the way of like somatic experiencing. Um, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is an important read. There's a book called um, Call of the Wild by Kimberly Ann Johnson. It's very new, written mm-hmm. by a woman for women regarding trauma and how to basically metabolize those things and come into our wholeness in our bodies. Like, I just look at, oh my gosh, we as a community of people getting sober, yes, some 12 steps can help, but look, nobody. I do not trust anybody with my sex inventory. Okay. Like that was written in 1935 by a dude that might've been cheating on his wife. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so like today, do I want to tell a complete stranger about my sex inventory? No, hell no. And that's part of the program. And I think it's set up for getting disappointed. Like there's supposed to be the synchronicity of like sponsor sponsee and we guide each other through the steps and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying it's not trauma informed. It's not Mm -hmm. based in neuroscience. Yes, it's based in some spiritual principles, but we can do better when Mm -hmm. we know better. And Mm -hmm. we need to help people understand what happened to them and Mm -hmm. let go of this narrative that like we're these selfish, fear-based alcoholics, and we just have to keep working steps to be whole and that we have to wait for God to remove these defects of character. It just, I just don't think so. And I just think, again, it comes down to, so it's just bringing this home a little bit. We're coming back down to this conscious relationship yeah, and totally. allowing us to be individuals because there are some people for whom that's been their saving grace. And it's the thing and it that- was my saving grace too. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying, oh, that's what I'm saying. I'm not anti 12 step. It's totally saved me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there are some people who the saving is a long term relationship. And there's some people yeah. for whom it's a step in their journey. Yeah. And it's okay, but what we're kind of, I feel like we're saying is have a conscious relationship to it. Don't let somebody else. Agree. Agree. Make that yeah. choice for you. It, it's just such an honor to talk to you, Dan. I so, you know, I so appreciate the opportunity to be a part of Do It With Dan. And um, yeah. we've been, yeah, we've been, um, we stayed in contact after Dr. Joe. And um, and I remember you would reach out to me and check on me. And I told you, oh my gosh, Dan, I'm really struggling being off these, these medications. And I don't feel like I'm myself. And, um, you know, I was struggling with depersonalization and derealization and paranoia. And like, I felt like I basically had a 
brain injury, Dan. And, um, and I went to the Amen clinic in, in uh, February, 2020. And basically uh, a doctor said, yeah, you have protracted withdrawal. And I, I got validation from the medical community that these drugs did affect my brain and they affected my nervous system. And the beautiful thing for me is that the body does heal. It does mm. have the capacity to heal. Thank God. I had Dr. Joe's work. Thank God. I had knowledge about neuroplasticity and Bruce Lipton's work on biology of belief. And mm -hmm. I would listen to anything. Andrew Huberman's um, lab at Stanford. He's doing beautiful work on neuroscience and, and, and neuroplasticity. And I would just lock and load on anything that could anchor me into the power of the brain and the power of our heart mm. and getting our hearts into coherence and then syncing up the heart and the mind, the brain mm. at the same time. Because I'll tell you, Dan, there was about two years where I couldn't listen to Dr. Joe's guided meditations. I, my sensory system was so acutely oversensitive. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't listen mm -hmm. to music. Um, I literally felt like I had this drug induced brain injury. And I looked from the outside I looked the same, right? So it really was like a traumatic brain injury, but it wasn't from an assault from being in a car accident. It was from drugs being removed and my brain and central nervous system had become dependent on them. Even mm. down to Dan, my endocrine system, like I've been an athlete my whole life. Okay. Like I've run marathons and done triathlons. I was a runner all through my twenties and thirties. And so I know what runner's high is, right? I know what that endorphin rush is. And I would exercise for two years and I would do it because I knew it was quote unquote good for me, but I felt no physical positive benefits from it. And then like just, I started, I dove in deep um, the latter part of 2020. Today is 167 days in a row of Dr. Joe's meditations. And um, I started just recommitting as soon as I could put on those headphones and start like really not being kind of like having my nervous system assaulted from his hypnotic language patterns and the music in the background. I just said, okay, I'm doubling down and I'm not going to just be in a state of like of mindfulness on the meditation mat, on the meditation pillow. I'm going to challenge every thought I don't want to fire and wire. And I mm -hmm. literally like a full-time job, job, Dan, back in January of this year, I just went, oh, hell no. I am becoming a whole new woman, a whole, whole new me. And I will not continue to fire and wire these bullshit thoughts that I'll never get better. I'll be stuck like this. I'm always going to be like this. And every time I have, because I know the neuroscience, when we have a thought, the body will create a feeling that neurochem it'll create a chemical in the body that mm. to physically match. So you have a feeling that matches the thought. I knew enough to go, you've got to stop thinking like this, Michelle, you're mm. literally keeping yourself sick. Mm. But I was so sick for so long as a coach, I went through my training in 2016. Right. And so I knew all this stuff, Dan, and it was so frustrating that I literally was unable to apply my own coaching protocol on myself. And that mm. felt like a little scary to me. Right. So this year, this is my comeback. Like mm -hmm. I was so odd when you said, do you want to be on the podcast? I was like, hell yes, I do. <laughs> because 2021 has been this year of like, like I'm just boom, I'm back. I feel good. I feel whole. I'm thinking clear. My memory's back. I can read and retain data. I couldn't mm -hmm. read Dan. I love learning. It's one of my highest mm -hmm. values is growth and learning. And I literally mm -hmm. would read a book and it was like words were bouncing off my forehead. It was wow. like, it was like literally having a brain injury. And, um, and then that feeling of like angst and dread, like waking up every day and going, Ugh, I've got to do it again. Like I growth and gratitude were so, like foreign to me. And then to know what I know as a coach, right. To know what I know about neuroplasticity and to know the truth, but not be, be able to like wholly and authentically integrate that in myself it felt so frustrating because mm. it wasn't a fake it till you make it thing. It felt so wholly untrue. Like I was just mad. Like ignorance is bliss. You know, it can be because I knew so much 
and it wasn't like the rubber wasn't meeting the road until I could get those headphones back on. I could start being present with myself and not have it feel like it was an assault, right? Like, mm. you know, sometimes you sit in a meditation, you're like, oh, I really don't want to do this. I And you, it's just really like talking yourself into being present. This wasn't mm-hmm. that. This was like, imagine if, if putting your nails on a chalkboard and going down yeah. brings shivers up your spine. Imagine that times a thousand. That's Mm. how my sensory system was so off that it literally felt like an assault to have that music on my, my ears. Right. So when I was able to sit with myself and be, just be with myself and just be, it doesn't matter what my thoughts are saying, just be with yourself, Michelle, be in your body, let the thoughts come, just be with your body. And then that happened for two weeks. And then I went with a girlfriend that I'd met in Toronto, Dr. Joe, 2018. And in September, I said, accountability partner. We're all in, right? We're going to do this every day. We're going to say which meditations we're doing. And then I started challenging those thoughts. Dan, literally in about 27 days, I woke up and I went, oh my gosh, that mean girl's gone. That Hmm. mean girl that wakes up and says, when I wake up and I go, she's like, Hey, I'm glad you're awake. Cause I've got some things to tell you, you know, you're still a piece of shit, right? You know mm-hmm. that like, you're never going to get better, right? Your, mm-hmm. your brain is always going to be this injured, right? Like that mean girl, mm-hmm. she's gone, shh, shh, quiet, integrated, mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens, I don't know about you, but when I tell people my goal is to do 365 days in a row of Dr. Joe Dispenza meditations, and look, I don't care what kind of meditations you're doing, when mm-hmm. you can get present and be with yourself and be all in with yourself and just tune everything else out and let the thoughts come and let the pain come and stay, stay with yourself. I've had such profound changes, Dan. I'll tell you this. I won't work with clients that won't be in this work. Because Mm. what I know is they're looking for me to fix them. They're looking Mm. to me to put them on this pedestal. Mm. And I myself have outsourced my empowerment for so long. At 52 years of age, I don't want to hold space for people that think I can fix them, heal them, motivate or inspire them. Okay, that's not my job. Mm. My job is to hold a space, a container for their work Mm -hmm. so they can come home to themselves. Mm. I will guide you home to you and you have to meet yourself there. Mm. You have to meet yourself there. Mm. That's what I do. Michelle, you're a rock star. Thank you're you so a rock star. And we had <laughs> such a blast together. Remember the dance? Oh, I remember that's the other this. thing. Okay, so Dan, and this is the last thing. Fun. F-U-N. So back in my life. Mm-hmm. Spontaneous, playful, adventuresome, beautiful woman that I was before meds. I'm playing soccer with my 18-year-old. I'm running like a gazelle and a goat up these mountains. I'm running in this body like I'm 30 years old. Like mm. I, I'm so back in the joy of living. I'm so back in this growth and gratitude mindset. I'll just do whatever it takes to stay right here. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Coming back home, coming back home. Michelle, for people that want to keep being in your rocking, rocking world, what's the best way for them yeah, to, to follow your say, journey and be a part yeah, of what you're doing? So probably my website, which would be um, michellewaterman.com. And that's Michelle with one L. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can put that in the show notes. And you then I also on Instagram, I'm Michelle Waterman Coaching. So they can mm-hmm. follow me there. Those are my two primaries. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure I put those in the show notes. That's Thank awesome. You Thanks so, so much. much, Dan. What an <laughs> honor to be in your presence. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you for, thank you for the journey that you've been on and the gift that it is to all of us. And the, you may not, you may say it's not your job to inspire us, but you certainly did it as a side hustle. So thank you. Yay. Thank you. My side gig. Yeah. <laughs> side gig. I love it. Guys, be sure to head over to michellewaterman.com. It's one L that threw me off for a long time, but I always remember it now. And um, yeah, just be a part of what you're doing and just send us some love. Send us some love. Um, we'd love to hear you guys do that. Until next time, keep dreaming with your eyes open. Remember, you can consciously choose a more abundant, joyful, purpose-driven life. And bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Duo with Dan with your host, Daniel McGenna. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit dmpotv.com. We'll catch you on the next episode of Do It With Dan.